0: Welcome to Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. Relationships are probably where we spend the most time and the most energy in our lives. They can be the sources of our greatest joy, but they can also cause us the deepest pain and frustration. This podcast is about helping you connect a little bit better every day in your relationships. Welcome to this episode of Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. I'm really excited for my guest today. My guest is De DeRosa, MFA, the content manager for The Family Dinner Project and co-author of Eat, Laugh, Talk, The Family Dinner Playbook. Brie has the opportunity to practice her family dinner skills every day with her husband and her two sons. The Family Dinner Project, a nonprofit initiative started in 2010, champions family dinner as an opportunity for family members to connect with each other through food, fun, and conversation about things that matter. More than 20 years of scientific research shows why family meal times are so important. The Family Dinner Project provides the how for today's busy families. Welcome, Brie. I'm so happy to have you here today. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, in the introduction, I talk about the benefits of families eating meals together. I know a lot of us have heard them, but can you kind of summarize them for our listeners? People ask us all the time, well, all of these benefits sound great, but can't I get
1: them through other means besides family dinner? And what I always tell people is, of course, there are a lot of ways that you can achieve some of these benefits, but Mm -hmm. none of them will get all of the benefits in one the way that a family meal will. Family dinner is the only activity we know of where you get all of these things and more. So we say, yeah, I know it's crazy, right? And so we say family dinner is good for the brain, body and soul of all family members. And what that really means is, first of all, there are health and nutritional benefits, right? Which I think is what, Most people think of first when they think Mm -hmm. about why family dinner is important or why it's good for you. They think of, well, you know, we're not going to be eating as much fast food, which is true. Also, people who eat family dinners tend to eat more fruits and vegetables, and Mm -hmm. those habits actually extend throughout the lifespan. So, if you eat family dinners when you're a kid, you tend to have healthier eating patterns throughout your adult life as well, which is kind of an interesting finding. And we find that you eat less sugar, less trans fats, you know, less soda, all of those things if you have family dinners. More interestingly, I think, than the health and nutritional benefits are all of the social, emotional, academic, mental health benefits that are associated with family dinners. So right off the bat, kids who eat dinner with their family regularly are more resilient than kids who don't. They bounce back more easily after bullying. They have stronger connections to their peers and more positive friendship skills. They feel more connected to their own families and more like they have a sense of their place in the world. And they tend to have higher grades and lower risk factors, things like teen drug use or drinking, right? Sexual behaviors, the things that parents worry about—eating disorders, mm-hmm. depressive symptoms—all of those types of things are lessened with kids who eat dinner with their families regularly as opposed to kids who don't. And also, you know, this, is, this one is really fun, I think. For younger kids, family dinner is actually a literacy booster. Mm-hmm. So if you eat with your kids when they're little— They actually learn more new words and get better pre-reading skills like sequencing, storytelling, those types of skills from family dinner than they even do when you read to them. So you should absolutely read to your kids, but you should also eat dinner with them and talk to them because it's a real vocabulary booster. And kids who eat dinner with their families have a much higher literacy rate by eighth grade than kids who don't. So there's really a strong correlation here across every facet of a child's life, not to mention that for adults, their marriages tend to be more satisfactory. They tend to have lower instances of high stress than parents who don't eat with their families. Older adults who eat with other people are less lonely They're less likely to skip meals. So there's a whole host of benefits, no matter what age you are, to actually sharing a meal with somebody. Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. Wow. I mean, after I'm like, okay, our work is done here. All people need to know is that, because why wouldn't you after hearing all that? You know, as you were talking, I was thinking, so I grew up in a family on the East Coast, and I know you're on the East Coast, and we ate dinner together every single night of my life at five o'clock, which is so early, but we ate at five o'clock growing up, you know, my parents divorced and, and, and I remember actually when they divorced missing the family meal, that was one of the things I grieved the most when they divorced. Cause that kind of went by the wayside, but um, it was such an important part of my childhood. And it is such an important part of my family, which is why I'm such a big fan of the family dinner project. But one of the unique things about our family is we adopted a daughter from China when my boys were 10 and five. So there's a pretty big age gap. And you know, when she came home from China, obviously she could not speak English. <laughs> she was 10 months old, she was a baby. She didn't have English words. But we used to go around. We always did questions at dinner. And we'll get to this later because I'm going to ask you questions about that. But we always did questions at dinner. And one of them was sometimes the favorite part of your day. We didn't do the worst part of the day. We did just the favorite part of the day. And and we would do other things, compliment each other. But They were at an age where they were five and 10. It was easy for them to come up with the favorite part of their day or to compliment, to tell something nice they did for someone else or what they were grateful for. But she was a 10-month-old baby who just came home from China. But we kind of would give her a turn, right? We'd go around the table and she'd be in her height chair. And my boys would silly say like, Kate, what are you grateful for? And I'll never forget one day, she didn't have the pincer grasp which babies should have at 10 months, but being in foster care, whatever. And my son said, mama, Kate's telling us she finally got the pincer grasp. And when you were talking about boosting their vocabulary, like I have no doubt that just her getting the spotlight for a minute, even though she couldn't answer and she didn't have the words that she heard all of us and she got the words faster. And she's even said to us, sometimes she didn't speak up at dinner because my boys were able to talk about politics and things when she was in kindergarten and couldn't. But man, what they learned from listening, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the
1: things that people kind of underestimate or overlook about the family meal is that because it is a multi-age format. Yeah, You are having conversations that are rich in different topics, different word choices. Mm -hmm. They're not the same as the conversation that you might have with your child on the way home from soccer, for example, Mm -hmm. where it's just you and the kid in the car. And they're really, you know, because people say this all the time and it's completely true. I have kids. I get this oh, well, they'll really talk to me when they're in the car, you know, and they don't have to look at me and we're not, its there's not a high pressure situation. Absolutely, and you should do that. But in that format, I find the kids are really driving the discussion, right? They're really talking about their things, kid things, things that are familiar to them, things that um, contain vocabulary words that are familiar to them. And that's great. You should have those conversations. But when you're at the table and there are people of all different ages kind of having a discussion, it gives mom and dad and the other household adults the opportunity to introduce other topics, to sort of challenge the kids a little bit, to talk about, to to your point, politics, you know, or history or that museum that they went to and to introduce new words into that in a Mm -hmm. way that really elevates the way that kids hear and learn and absorb and then eventually express their vocabulary. So yeah, your example is exactly right. Little ones really absorb what they're hearing.
0: My favorite chapter of the family dinner in our family, I don't know if my kids will listen to this. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, but my middle son would, he went to a really large inner city public middle school and he would come home and teach us the slang, you know, (laughs) all the middle school slang. And my older son was in like an all boys private high school. So he didn't hear as much. And my daughter was young, but you know, we would laugh and laugh so hard because he would, kind of teach us. I mean, the the variety and the richness, like you said, of the vocabulary and the topics is just beneficial for everybody. One of the things I see, because I work with families all day, I do parenting, coaching, and lots of my clients are hesitant to eat family dinner together for a lot of reasons. They say it's stressful, the kids fight, they have trouble sitting still, they use poor table manners. How can we encourage those families to keep going? And what are some suggestions for making it a little more peaceful?
1: Yeah, you know, and these are these are common challenges. I want to say, you know, when people I think sometimes when people struggle with family meals, they think somehow that they're alone right? Mm -hmm. They think they must be doing it wrong. And I just want to, you know, preface everything that I'm about to say by saying, listen, we've all had the family dinners where like the kids are up and out of their chairs and everybody's spilling everything and the dog is barking and the phone is ringing and there's a pile of dirty dishes in the sink. And you're like, why are we doing this? I want to go (laughs) hide. So it's completely normal, first of all that there are going to be less than idyllic family dinners. And we first and foremost want families to understand you must let go of the perfect. You must Mm -hmm. let go of the idea that there is one right way that dinner should look. From what you're eating to how you're interacting to what the table manners look like, there are so many different ways that this could go. And all of them, uh, are valid as long as you are approaching the interaction with positivity and trying to keep that tension out of the picture. That's the biggest piece. So, all of the things about scheduling and picky eating and, you know, table manners and ages and stages, all of that can be managed if you come with an attitude of connection and positivity. It's the tension that's the really hard part. So there are a few things that you've mentioned that I just, you know, I'll, I'll tackle first. Yeah. One is table manners. I love to start here because parents are really into table manners. We have this thing of like, we don't, you know, we don't want to raise the kid who goes to their, you know, new romantic interests house at age 16 for dinner and is like eating with their fingers and doesn't use a napkin, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think that's what we think is going to happen. It's not likely to happen. Kids do grow and absorb the norms of what goes on around them for the most part. So one of the easiest ways to make dinner really tense is to focus overly on manners and behavior right if you're expecting kids to sit perfectly well no matter what age they are to always have the napkin in the lap to always be using a knife and fork correctly to always be saying please and thank you and manners and and you're interrupting the meal in order mm-hmm. to correct all of those behaviors what the child experiences is i'm under a microscope i cannot relax be myself and connect with my parents at the table because I am being judged for everything that I do. And that's not what parents intend, but that's the first thing that we have to let go of, and that also cuts to picky eating. Absolutely, if you are commenting on what your child is eating, how much they are eating, what they are not eating, you are giving them a sense that the dinner table is one more place where they have to measure up to an expectation that's really hard for parents to wrap their brains around so let go of perfect let go of expectations now that doesn't mean that you let them just no rules no no mm-hmm. boundaries you know mm-hmm. I always joke when my kids were really little there was you know there was a period of time where I was like we have sunk so low that I'm telling people that they have to keep forks out of their underpants my god <laughs> you're right like I
0: absolutely just. <laughs> But thanks for sharing that. People are going to be glad to know that that happened to you too, you know? Oh, absolutely.
1: Right. There was one night, one night when the only way I could get my kids, they were in preschool, the only way mm-hmm. I could get my boys to finish their dinner was they were putting a bite of noodles in their mouths and letting it kind of hang out on the sides. <laughs> and then they would like run around in a circle and shake the noodles and then they would eat them. And then they would come back and do it all over again. And I finally was like, you know what? Actually, this is fine. This is good. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to eat. <laughs> you know, they're eating, they're happy. Mm-hmm. Now, that's mm-hmm. probably a level of chaos that not every parent can handle. But the point is that there is really kind of a wide latitude for behavior. And we've worked with families. You know, one family I loved, they were like, all right, we've just given up. We take dinner outside because there's always a hose right? They just, (laughs) their toddlers were just messy and whatever. And so they turned every dinner into a picnic as long as the weather Mm -hmm. held and just, Mm -hmm. you know what, it's fine. All of that by way of saying, you've got to keep dinner positive. It's got to be warm and welcoming because whatever you're serving is going to bring them to the table, right? Food brings people together, but it's what happens during that mealtime interaction, That Mm -hmm. is going to keep them there and make them want to come back. Mm -hmm. And especially as kids get older, you want them to want to come back, Mm -hmm. even if they sit there and don't feel like they want to talk. You know, even if you feel like they're teenagers rolling their eyes at you. You want them sitting
0: there and you want them to want to sit there. And if they feel criticized either by what they're eating, not enough, too much, or their table manners, they won't want to. And I have a 24-year-old, a 20-year-old, mm-hmm. and so they, you know, are, are off in college and grad school and working and stuff. And they their favorite thing is the family dinner when they come home. They never miss it. In fact, when they're going out with their friends, if their friends have plans, they will often say, well, I'm going to eat dinner with y'all and then go out. And I remember it being a battle with my husband of like, he would want to correct the table manners and saying, you know, no. And I think what I heard in your answer is this, I kind of summarized it as you did really well, manage your expectations. It doesn't have to be picture perfect with the food, the setting, the manners, the sitting there. And I even read you should expect a certain number of minutes for each age they are, too. Do you know that specific statistic? Yeah,
1: absolutely. And that's a great guideline. If parents are feeling kind of like, "Uh, my two-year-old won't sit for dinner. Well, no, because they can really only realistically sit for two minutes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Think about that. Now, that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be a part of the family dinner. And that's the other thing about letting go of the expectations. You can leave their plate on the table and let them get down for a few minutes. Let they'll toddlers have a wonderful way of wandering back. Right. Sure. Yeah. And you can, you can also invite them back, yeah. you know, have something fun to do, a game that you want to play together, you know, a coloring page ready for them to do. Oh, come help me color Goofy, right? Mm-hmm. And just get them back to the table. And odds are they'll come back, they'll interact with you for a minute, they'll eat two bites, then they'll run off again. That's yeah. okay, right? Yeah. We have to understand that sitting and eating a family meal is a learned developmental skill. Mm -hmm. It is not something that happens at a certain moment. Uh, It is different for every child and every family. And you have to do what works. Some kids, you know, there are a lot of parents these days who talk to us about, well, my child has special needs. They have a really hard time with sitting at the table and not wiggling. And first of all, I would say, Offer them the opportunity to not sit at the dinner table, right? Mm-hmm. Or if they are sitting, if they have some sort of OT support, you know, a wiggle cushion. Or yeah, I was they just going to say,
0: we had right? a wiggle cushion for my oldest son, this little blue cushion. And I mean, that was a game changer for us Absolutely. for dinner time.
1: Yeah, you can use wiggle cushions. You can use stretchy bands on the legs of the chair that they can get some pressure against. Mm -hmm. You can even let them stand at the table. For Mm -hmm. some families, I say, you know, you can tape out a box on the floor at their Mm -hmm. spot and they can stand and maneuver within their zone, Mm -hmm. but it keeps them near the table, right? And it keeps them at their plate. If they're not a sitter, don't make them sit. There's, you know, we, we kind of put these rules in place because we have this leave it to beaver kind of thing in our heads and it doesn't, it doesn't work in practice. And parents, let's, let's be honest. Most of us have two income families or one wage earner who's working multiple jobs. Everybody's tired. Everybody's stretched thin and nobody wants to have to deal with, you know, behaviors at dinner yeah. time, which is I think one of the biggest turnoffs for parents is they just feel so exhausted mm-hmm. that trying to make it all fit this mold is what really turns them off. But it can be so fun and rewarding if you just loosen up a little bit.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that's key. So the manage the expectations, loosen up a little bit. And and just like you said, it's a learned developmental skill. And I had written down the only way they get better is if you keep doing it. If you if you abandon it because it's hard in the beginning, you'll never get to that point cuz you do get there eventually. But you know, I was thinking my middle son is almost 21 and he could sit at the table really well. He he didn't need the wiggle cushion and as a kid, but he has found as he's older now in his twenties, he, he likes to walk. Like he takes his phone calls and kind of paces. He likes to move. I remember starting in high school, he would like kind of gobble down his food and say, I got homework. I got to go. And he would be there 10 minutes. And I said, you know, Harry, that's not okay. Like you don't have to sit at the table and I know you have homework, but I spent at least an hour cooking this meal. You can give us a half hour. And so I told him, you got to be you can be in the kitchen to help putting things away. You can walk. And so now when he comes home for family dinner, he sits and eats with us. But as we're talking after dinner, as we all love to do now because they're older, no one's you know in a rush. He will usually pace around the island or sometimes he's even sort of dancing a little bit. Or But he doesn't leave the conversation or the connection. He just knows that he'll add to it better. And thankfully, I don't have that you know, strict at like, sit down, sit down. I'd rather have him there pacing the island and contributing than gone.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, you just brought up such a great point, which is that one of the best ways for families to kind of use wiggly kids to their advantage is to actually assign them family dinner jobs. Oops, you know what? <laughs> We need more napkins. Can you go get those for us and bring them back? Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. You're such a help. You know what? We're done with that salad bowl. Would you bring that into the kitchen and put it in the sink for me? Really kind of like put the kids in charge of some things. And it can even be, you know, when they come back to the table after they've put the salad bowl in the sink. Okay, great hey, we've got a conversation jar on the table. Why don't you pull out the next conversation starter and let's all read it together, right? You can absolutely, and you scale this up, obviously, as they get older, right? So when they're teenagers, to your point, okay, I know you've got a lot of homework, but you know what? Why don't we, you can do a number of things, right? First of all, why don't we get you started on helping with the dishes while we finish up and let's finish our conversation, right? Or if you've got a kid who's really like, no, I have to go get the homework done. Okay, you know what? We're going to hit the pause button. You go ahead, get your homework done. I can see that stressing you out and you can't relax and enjoy your time with us because you're you're worried about that. Go ahead, get your homework done. When you're done, we're all going to have family dessert together. We're going to come back to the table And we're going to, you know, whatever it is, we've got ice cream in the freezer or we've got fruit and chocolate. We'll make some fondue and we're going to hang out a little bit when everybody's done with their homework for the night. Okay. So just when you're done, come on down.
0: I love that suggestion, Brie. That's wonderful.
1: Well, there are so, you know, this is the thing. There are so many ways that we can break the mold of what we think family dinner is, and it doesn't even have to be dinner. And that's the point. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about that. Yeah. It can be any opportunity to share food, fun, and conversation with people you care about qualifies as a family dinner, mm-hmm. right? So first of all, it doesn't have to be dinner. Second of all, it doesn't have to be family even in the way that some people might define it, right? If you have close friends who come over every Friday to share a meal with you, that's a family family dinner of sorts, right? Mm-hmm. College kids who maybe meet for dinner with their dorm mates, That's their family Mm -hmm. away from home, right? So family can also be the people that we choose to spend time with. And we can model that for our kids in really healthy ways too. Who do we choose to expand our circle to? We have things on our site for family breakfasts. Seven Mm -hmm. minutes, done, boom, right? Now, obviously it'd be great if we could spend more than seven minutes a day together, but if that's all you've got, that's all you've got. So here, here's something you can eat, something you can talk about and some a game you can play before the day starts. It can be a snack. You know, lots of families are stretched super thin in the dinner hour in terms of like kid activities and carpools and, you know, parents who are late from work and all of the things. If all you can do is have like, a snack before soccer practice together? Mm-hmm. That's okay. But take the time to sit and eat and talk together. That's mm-hmm. your moment of connection, right? Mm-hmm. That's what you're going to do. If it's um a picnic at the at the sidelines, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Right? If it's once a week, but it's a really good like Saturday morning breakfast or Sunday brunch or, you know, something something along those lines, that's also really beneficial. It's not like it has to be every night of the week. There's no magic number. We say, you know, three or more times per week has the most protective benefits. Mm -hmm. And obviously the more you do, the better off you probably are. Mm -hmm. But once a week in a really good structured setting that everybody can look forward to, and you can really spend the time If that's what you've got, then make the most of it. That can be a great,
0: powerful thing. And I think it's helpful to even put a boundary around that. I remember people telling me, oh, Kim, wait till all your kids are in a sport. You won't have family dinner anymore. You know, they would say it's easy when they're young, which it's harder when they're young because of their behavior and their, you know, their patience and what they can sit for. But it becomes harder as they're older because of family schedules and activities. But we always still like, I would look at the week. I had a gymnast and a swimmer and a lacrosse player. And I would kind of look at the week and say, okay, Monday, you know, dinner will be at 530 because most of us are here. And, you know, Tuesday, it might be 730 because most of us are here. And there may be a schedule where we're all coming and going. And so I make a crock pot meal and people kind of come and go. And I still considered those family dinners if one person was missing and four of us were there, but the rule was Sunday. Sunday was no exception, family dinner. And I say no exception. I mean, if someone had like a major life event, of course, (laughs) but Sundays you were expected, you weren't going to birthday parties. You weren't hanging out with your friends. There weren't games on Sundays at dinner time or practices. And so that was like non-negotiable really. We always had Sunday dinner and we had most of the other nights. But so I think, yeah, you could be Sunday brunch, but I think it's important to tell your family like this is time that we're protecting for our family and everything else can wait whether that's you know a sabbath dinner it be anything.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you've just brought up so many good points. You know, one of the things that you mentioned is this, this idea of, we call it the split shift dinner, mm-hmm. right? The thing where not everybody is going to be able to be home. That doesn't mean it's not a family dinner. One family that we've worked with over the years had this great motto. They had seven boys, <laughs> all different wow. ages. I know, <laughs> I know all different ages. And you can imagine that leads to a really hectic household schedule and their only big rule was no one ever eats alone. Oh, I love that. Isn't that great? And it didn't mean that you had to like eat with the person, but if that last young man to come through the door from a long day at work was sitting down and eating after everybody else was finished, someone would always pour a cup of tea and go sit down and talk to him and include him in the family dynamic right? And that is powerful. Don't let people eat alone. The crock pot is a great idea, right? Or make ahead meals. We have a bunch of this kind of stuff on our site yeah. too, right? And anytime that you have two people sharing that connection, that qualifies. Now, there are other things you can do that are kind of fun to, to make a linkage if you want, right? Like you can choose a set of conversation starters for the night and everybody who eats at whatever time is going to ask the same questions of each other. And maybe you even do like an interview and you write down the answers, right? And then Mm -hmm. you can share them the next time you're all together. Or the first two people who eat together, start a conversation and leave questions for the next two people to expand on the conversation, right? So you can still do these kinds of shared experiences, even if they're not at the exact same time. And that can be really powerful too. It's just that reminder that we're all still a family. We all still matter, right? And this time Mm -hmm. still matters in our day to decompress, to find out how everybody's doing, to learn about each other, to grow together at the table,
0: right? Uh, I love that. I'm so glad you mentioned that about don't let people eat alone. Our youngest is um, she was a gymnast and is now a dancer. She dances seven nights a week. So sometimes she doesn't want to eat until 830 or nine. I cannot do that. I just can't wait that long. And so my husband, I will sometimes eat when she's at dance and he will always sit with her when she comes home from dance. And I sometimes purposefully don't because mm-hmm. I drive her home from school every day. I'm here when she comes home from school and she tells me everything and that I will eavesdrop on their conversation of just the two of them. If they didn't have that time mm-hmm. together, there's so much she probably wouldn't confide in him. And he shares about his date. Like it's this special dynamic that just they have together And sometimes I'll sit with them too, but sometimes I purposefully just let them kind of have that time to connect.
1: Sure. And I mean, that sounds like such a great thing that you've stumbled upon that really works. And that's, that's the point. What is working so well in your family dynamic, right? What do we discover when we let ourselves explore new possibilities? One family that I remember was talking about how when their kids were growing up, they had one night. Each week that was inviolable for family dinner, like you've said. And it was, it was a Sabbath dinner for the family. Mm -hmm. And as their kids got older, they started to find that they would get a little resistant sometimes. They'd Mm want to, you know, in high school, particularly, they'd want to like go out with their friends and not have to wait for Friday night dinner to be over. Right. It was a it was a thing. And so they instituted this really smart thing, which was get out of dinner free cards. Oh. And each kid got like, I can't remember if it was two or three per year that they could use. So it was still the idea that you are expected to be at dinner, yeah. right? But there are a few times where you can choose yeah. that you will not. So use these wisely. And what they found was actually just by allowing it, it didn't happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And there later as their kids grew into adulthood, their youngest son, who had been kind of the most resistant, said to them, you know, I actually realized that sometimes I was really grateful to have family dinner as an excuse Mm -hmm. to not go do some of the things that my friends might be exploring that maybe were not the greatest choices. Mm -hmm. And I could just pin it on you guys. (laughs) Oh, my parents make me do this stupid family dinner. And he's like, you know, I only used one or two of those cards ever. And I I never felt good about it after.
0: Wow. You know? I so love it's that.
1: yeah, it's this great like creative solution that still they, it allowed the kids to have agency. And by the way, agency is really important at family yeah. dinner. Yeah. Right. And this goes to all the parents out there who are worried about things like picky eating. Yeah. That's a control issue for kids, (laughs) yeah, right? And it doesn't mean, by the way, I don't, please don't send letters to me or to (laughs) Dr. Kim. I'm not saying that there are not kids who are legitimately picky eaters who are not using it as a control issue, right? And there are kids with feeding disorders and kids Mm -hmm. on the spectrum and all kinds of reasons why kids might have a limited diet. Totally, totally understand, empathize, respect that. And you have to do what you have to do. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times for kids, that developmentally normal phase of picky eating, that neophobia kind of thing that Mm -hmm. younger kids go through is really about wanting to have control and choice and agency at the table. And so, you know, this at every age and stage, there are really good reasons to try to find ways to give that independence and that freedom of choice. And so if it's about the food, you let them make their own plate you do a lot of deconstructed meals, build your own taco bars and, you know, make your own English muffin pizzas and, you know, let them serve themselves family style and choose what they're putting on the plate, right? Don't comment on it. Let them eat. When they're older, it's more about why do I have to do family dinner or why do i have to talk about this or oh my god why am i sitting here instead of being on my phone texting my friends and so there are things that we do on that end of of the spectrum that give those kids more choice
0: and agency too mm-hmm. so and i know we do this a little different than some families out there but we make a grocery list like usually saturday for and we kind of plan we don't plan what we're going to eat which night but we plan a week's worth of dinners and i would ask my kids like what do you want for dinner this? Week? They could pick a meal. Like one of them loved chili. So, you know, every week they would kind of want chili or you know, I would let have them involved in the process. And then something else I did when my kids would complain about a meal, which we kind of had a general guideline that you couldn't really comment on the quality of the dinner at our in our family because somebody worked really hard, whether it was takeout and someone in the restaurant worked really hard, but mostly it was usually me who worked really hard. I, I like to cook, but it's a lot of work. And I would explain to my kids when you say, ew, this is disgusting. I don't want to eat this, that that was hurtful or not respectful because I spent a lot of time cooking. So you, you don't have to eat it all. You could pick something else on the table. But often I had one kid in particular who everybody loved chili, but this kid did not. And I said, you know what, next time we have chili, I want you to help me make it. And he did. And do you know what? just from making it and feeling that sense of pride, he really likes it now. He he loved it. He thought it was the best chili he ever had. And so I kind of, it wasn't a punishment, but I involved them into helping me prepare the meal. And when they do that, they have such a greater appreciation for the time, the energy, and for the food itself. Yeah, absolutely. And that
1: works at pretty much every age, right? Mm-hmm. With different different levels of involvement and different levels of skill in the kitchen. And yeah, you're right. By the time they're teenagers, they can really take a hand in meal planning and in cooking and in creating meals. And it's a great way to turn that back around, you know, and be able to say to kids, listen, I know this isn't your favorite, mm-hmm. right? And that's okay. We all have favorites and less favorites. Yeah. Yep. But we're not going to criticize the food we're not Mm -hmm. going to yuck on other people's yums as some families (laughs) say right
0: say that again
1: yep don't yuck on somebody else's yum
0: oh i like that
1: because somebody else might really enjoy this food and now you're making them feel kind of weird and bad because Mm -hmm. you're saying it's yucky but it's not yucky to them it's yummy Mm -hmm. and so we all have choice we all have preferences right we all have tastes And it's okay if this isn't to your taste, but now I'm going to ask you to help me think of something for tomorrow night or for next week that is to your taste, and we're going to work together to make it happen. And it's actually, you know, it can be a really powerful meal planning tool too, right? Because a lot of people, I think with meal planning, you either love it or hate it, right? But it is really important for family dinner. (laughs) Like, If you're going to not feel stressed out about dinner or minimize your stress about dinner, Knowing what you're going to eat and knowing that you have everything on hand to make those meals is really a stress reliever. It does Mm -hmm. help take the pressure down immediately. But if you're somebody who hates meal planning and there are lots of people like that, Mm -hmm. getting the kids involved is actually the fastest way to overcome that chore. Just put out a big calendar, like a whiteboard calendar. Mm -hmm. A lot of families have them and say, okay, you're doing Monday, you're doing Tuesday, Mm -hmm. you're doing Wednesday and let them
0: fill in on the board. What do they want to eat? right? They're going to do it for you. (laughs) And you'll come up with new things. Like I think of an example really recently, my daughter wanted Swedish meatballs. That is not something that's in my normal rotation. I've made them once and I think she just really liked them, but it's kind of become because she really likes them. So she'll put, I would never put that on the meal plan. But when mm-hmm. she puts them on, we we all enjoy it. It's just so, yeah, sometimes they come up with things that you wouldn't have thought of or come up with. And then, you know, it's the neatest thing that happens is that when you talked about the yums and yucks, I was thinking when my oldest son went away to college, we live in Texas and he went to college in Ohio. So he didn't come home very often. And when he did, he would text me like the week when he was coming home for Thanksgiving, like his favorite dinners. That was the first thing my kids would text me when they were coming home is what they wanted for family dinner (laughs) when they came home from college. And you know, Brie, that reinforced, and I'm getting a little emotional as my listeners know, I always do, because as we were talking, I was thinking besides Christmas, family dinner is my favorite part of being a family, of being a mom, because it has brought (laughs) my family together so much, which is why I'm so passionate about this. And it brings us together when they come home. The meals that they request are often the ones that they came up with in that meal planning in the teen years, because it did give them agency. And I noticed the ones that are launched, those are the meals they'll try to cook when they're away at college or grad school.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I always say to people, you know, my mom was the uh, family dinner queen, right? And our house was the dinner house when I was growing up. And- when we were teenagers, my sister's favorite restaurant closed down. My, now my sister was kind of a picky eater. She is not now parents. Mm-hmm. I should tell you that study abroad in college. If your oh. kid goes to another country for any length of time, they may come back with far changed eating habits, which is what mm-hmm. happened to her. But she was kind of a picky eater and she had this favorite restaurant. And she had this one dish that she always got at that restaurant and it closed and she was heartbroken. So my mother set about trying to figure out how to make that dish at home. It wasn't fancy. It was a pasta dish with chicken and garlic and, you know, but she was like, I bet I can make this. And she came up with her own version, which was really pretty close, pretty similar, made my sister so happy. And that recipe was what you would get if you came to my house for family dinner. So Mm -hmm. often it was in the rotation that when we grew up and we went to college and we moved out into our own apartments and started our own families, we would get phone calls from our friends that had grown up with us saying, remember that chicken noodle thing your mom used to make? (laughs) I want to make that for my kids. How do I make that? And that's Mm -hmm. that's the magical little thing of like, what family dinner can unlock. And now there are people all over the country and the recipe is in our book, Eat, Laugh, Talk, the family dinner playbook. Mm-hmm. That It's called Pasta Poulet, which was mm-hmm. the fancy <laughs> restaurant, chicken pasta, you know. It's in the book. It's really easy to make. I make it all the time still for my kids. And they're learning to make it. So when they move out, they'll make it for themselves and their friends and their families. And, it, you know, the way that things kind of roll from generation to generation with family dinner is really, it's really one of the special things,
0: right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that. And, you know, we have a same story and it's a chicken and pasta too. (laughs) But yeah, we have that. And I, you know, what's the best, Brie? When my 24 and my 20 year old will send in the family group text the picture of those of that chicken dish that they make or whatever it is that was our family dinner and when they went to college i made them each a binder of all our family recipes and when I say family, you can see me doing air quotes, some of them were from a magazine or the internet, but they were, you know, pioneer woman's lasagna or, uh, you know, a beef braise, but they were the things that were generally in our rotation that our kids loved. And I made them, and I'll tell you, I gave it to them for Christmas. And when they opened it, they boys, they weren't that excited But then when they went to school and they sent me pictures of the meals they made from that, and they were so excited that they could make the recipes and that it was a tie back to the family. There was, there is just so rewarding, so rewarding. So I want to switch gears here before we run out of time, because one of the things I love about your website and about your Instagram page is that you share the best questions and games to play at the dinner table. And can you share some of those for our listeners now?
1: Sure, so I mean, first of all, I should say we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of conversation starters for every age and stage and every occasion. And we also have dozens and dozens of dinner games, right? Some of the ones that I'll talk about now are great for like holiday dinners, you know? Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, oh, Christmas and family dinner, right? And mm-hmm. in my head, I go, and Thanksgiving and family dinner, right? And there's so there are so many opportunities coming up where families may be gathering, even online. Some, mm-hmm. you know, some families are gonna be gathering virtually for holidays this year. And so there are lots of great, questions you can ask. Things like, tell me something about yourself that you think I might not know. Ooh, I like that. That's a great one, especially for older kids or for family members that you haven't seen in a while and you want to kind of like, you know, learn about each other. It's so much better than, so what you've been up to? Or what are you doing with your time these days? All the things that we kind of awkwardly ask to get the information, right? Yeah, One question that I tend to ask my kids a lot, especially, you know, there's been kind of a lot of transition for a lot of families and a lot of kids in the past year and a half. And one question that I always recommend, like every interview I do is to ask kids things like, if you could change one thing about our family or about school right now, what would you choose? Mm. And it's a great way to kind of get at, is there something going on underneath that you're not maybe Mm -hmm. seeing or hearing? Right. Mm -hmm. And again, these are sort of open ended questions. You notice these are not questions you can answer with a yes or a no. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. And that's on purpose because we we all get into this trap of how was your day? Fine. Mm -hmm. What did you do? Nothing. Mm -hmm. Did you learn anything? No. And then parents are like, my kids don't want to talk to me. Mm -hmm. Totally untrue, right? Other things you can do, things like family storytelling. So this is really fun and really meaningful. You were talking about family recipes. I've done a lot of this, you know, there's like a Christmas bread that we bake that, My great uncle taught me how to make and every year when we make it, the kids are like, oh, remember Uncle Olaf and remember when he used to and we would and we talk about family history. So you can ask questions about that. You can say, like, what's the first story you know about one of your ancestors? Or Mm. tell me something about your grandparents. Do you know a story about your grandparents? Or how did your parents meet? Mm -hmm. Or do you know how you got your name? Mm -hmm. Things like that that are really interesting and involve people in feeling connected to the unit, right? The whole family history and dynamic. And now I feel a part of this story. I feel the connection. Or even if you're making something together You know, maybe it's a good opportunity to say, Where did you get this recipe? Who taught you this recipe? Why is this recipe meaningful to you? Or what was a favorite food that you used to eat when you were a kid Mm -hmm. at the holidays? Mm -hmm. Or what's something you can ask your kids what's something that you have always wanted to try that we've never Mm -hmm. made? right? And you can kind of turn it around that way. You can also be really, you know, imaginative and really fun and really silly with family dinner questions. And especially with little ones, it can be really Mm -hmm. fun to ask questions like, hey, if our cat or dog could talk, what do you think they would say? Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. If you had a boat and unlimited time and you could sail anywhere in the world, where would you sail and why? Mm -hmm. Right? You can ask things like, What's your favorite storybook? If you could be best friends with a character from that book, who would be your best friend? Mm-hmm. And all of these kinds of like things that get their imaginations going. If you had a pet dragon, what would you name it, right? Like you mm-hmm. can really just kind of get kids engaged with the mm-hmm. idea of relating to you on different levels. And that's so powerful because family dinner conversation, a lot of times people feel pressured. Like they, they have to make it really intense and really meaningful. Mm-hmm. And we have to talk about politics or we have to talk about something deep mm-hmm. or we have to like get in there and find out what what was your day like? What exactly did you do? But that's not the point. Kids mm-hmm. will tell you exactly as much as they're ready to tell you. And interrogation very rarely <laughs> Does the job.
0: So, you know, throw it out the window and ask them something totally unexpected instead. And kids, I find, particularly teens, they would rather talk about these questions than the test at school or who they sat with at lunch or what happened at football practice. Because as I talk to teens in my practice, they don't want to talk about that the day is so filled with pressure and expectations they'd much rather talk about something like if you could travel anywhere where would you want to travel or yeah if you could step into a movie where would what would you want to or yeah i mean we did we had those chat packs I think that's what they're called, chat packs. We had some spiritual ones were were Catholic, and so we had some that were like spiritual-based about like your favorite Bible verse or different things like that. And then we had several of just whatever. You could get them on Amazon or Barnes & Noble if you're not feeling particularly creative. And they're in a drawer in our kitchen right next to our table. I guess it probably would have been better to keep them out on the table. And sometimes I would pull them out and have them on the table, but... Nine times out of 10, my kids would reach in the drawer and pull out the chat pack or the table dinner topics or whatever one, because we had probably five and they're still there and, and start asking the questions. And you know what? It, it, it didn't even matter if we had already done the question six months ago or two years ago, because we have had those for years. Because your kids change and you change and your answers change. And sometimes it just takes the pressure off of maybe you had a really bad day at school or a really bad day at work. And to talk about, you know, your favorite ice cream flavors is much easier than how your day was. One of the ones I just want to throw out there, because I have to tell you, I think my husband came up with this, but I remember a stage in our family life where we felt like maybe our kids were a little self-centered, like they weren't doing enough for other people. So he warned them in advance, but he said, I'm going to start asking every couple nights what you did nice for someone else that day. And I'll tell you what, that was such a change for our family because we'd always talked about like what we were thankful for or the best part of our day or, but when they knew, when we all knew that at the table, we were going to talk about some, it made us think about having the opportunity to do stuff for other people. And I think it changed our behavior and it changed our conversations really to being a little more other oriented. Um, And so that was a good one that we used to do.
1: Yeah, that's a great one. And we have a ton of that kind of stuff on our site. We, you know, we've done things for Giving Tuesday for years. And most Uh people use Giving Tuesday as a way of trying to um, solicit donations. And, you know, Uh we're a nonprofit, we'd love donations, but we've always used Giving Tuesday as a way to encourage families to give to give mm. to others through gifts of service, acts of mm-hmm. kindness, right? And so we have a lot of conversation starters and games and family activities around that type of thing. We also, to your point, we've got a randomizer on our site on the conversation page. Oh, you don't good. have to have a pack of cards. You can just put, and I know people are like, no phones at dinner. <laughs> I've got a whole thing about that too. But if you're using your phone to yeah. pull up conversation starters, yeah. you can just hit show me a conversation starter and it'll just keep generating new ones for you. So you can just always, you know, if you're out at a restaurant or something particularly, it's great because you can just, you everybody's always got their phone. You can just whip that out. We've got printable ones that you can print out for your table. And we've also got like for Thanksgiving, we've got printable placemats with conversation starters and games. So you can actually even set your Thanksgiving table with some different ideas, right? Some, oh, here's a Thanksgiving Would You Rather game here's a great set of interview topics that you can ask the whole family. Here's some about thanks and and giving, and here's some Mm -hmm. about gratitude and giving back and, you know, all of those types of things. And we have those, you know, we have tons of them for all different kinds of year, but um, right now I've got the holidays on the brain because we're coming up on that. And, and that's, you, you know, you were mentioning gratitude and giving back. And so, you know, that's kind of thematic for the time, but yeah, I think anything you can do and, and even, you know, There's one family that I remember who had a teenager who didn't like to talk at dinner, kind of at all. She was very, you know, a very reserved kid to begin with and just wasn't always up for conversation. So her mom started a never-ending UNO game at the table. And for her entire high school career, they played UNO while they were eating dinner. And they would just, that was the mechanism that got, Everybody calmed down and focused on an activity. They'd eat, they'd play. And all of a sudden, as they're playing and as they're eating, little things start to come out, right? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, Mm -hmm. they're talking. But it didn't require, you know, how was your day? What did you do? Did you take that test? What was your grade, right? All those things that teenagers particularly feel very examined about, right? It feels Mm -hmm. very transactional. Mm -hmm. They didn't have to do any of that they just played. That's and great. that's another great idea for just breaking the ice, you know, letting yeah. kids feel like this is not necessarily the hot seat. This is a place where we're going to bond Yeah,
0: over, over cards, over food, it, right? Yeah. Make it really easy. And I find too, don't you think that all of this makes our kids better listeners and us? because everybody gets kind of their turn to talk. And I think so many people, because I do marriage counseling and family work, that that's a skill we all really need to get better at. Absolutely. And that's, you know,
1: conversational skills are never going to go out of style. And I know a lot of parents worry maybe more now than ever about that Mm -hmm. because kids are spending so much time online. We've we've got this increasingly digitized society. Mm -hmm. And so the face-to-face Conversation is less and less a part of their worlds. Yeah. And so family dinner is a great time to reclaim that. And yes, when you're having those conversations and making space for everyone at the table. It does change the way that they relate to others in their world.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. You're modeling just really good communication skills. I've got one more quick question for you. Maybe it's not in you because you addressed a lot of it, but with Thanksgiving and Christmas and Hanukkah coming up, do you have any suggestions for these special holiday meals with extended family?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I would say the first thing is, you know, shameless plug, thefamilydinnerproject.org slash Thanksgiving. And we'll put that in the show notes too. Excellent. That's our like flagship. And, in you know, the, all of the following winter holidays, whether you celebrate Christmas okay. or you celebrate, you know, solstice or Hanukkah or whatever, okay. right? There's a lot of kind of winter celebrations that happen as well. The Thanksgiving stuff is almost equally applicable to those, those times of year. So there are a few things. One is we have something on there called the virtual care package. And I think this is really neat. We came up with it at the height of the pandemic, right? When nobody could kind of gather for, for Thanksgiving dinner. And what it is, is a set of resources that you can download for yourself and use with people who are coming to your house for dinner. Or you can also send it to somebody you love who's going to be eating dinner far away and they will have the same things that you have. So you can have this shared experience if you meet online, you can do some of it together, or you can do it separately and connect later on like, hey, how was that for you? We had a a lot of fun with this or that. It's dinner games. It's conversation starters. It's things you can do, games you can play online even together over Zoom. Mm -hmm. It's also family recipe cards that have a spot for telling that person something special about the recipe sharing that family storytelling bit. Here's why this is important to me and why I want us to make this, right? You can each make the recipe and then report back, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of fun stuff like that. There's also, you know, conversation starters, all lots of sets of conversation starters geared toward di- towards different topics, different age groups, and you can scatter those around. I mentioned the printable placemats, also some mm-hmm. really fun games that are great for larger groups at a table, and even ways you know if you have people who are reluctant to put down the cell phone at Thanksgiving dinner, mm-hmm. there are even some things you can do with that. So we've got recommendations for games like an online photo caption contest or a <laughs> selfie hot potato game. Where you're passing the phone around and everybody's taking photos of themselves. And suddenly you have this really great online photo gallery of your family dinner with yeah, everybody really in cool.
0: it, yeah. right? So
1: there's, there are a lot of things you can do. And I, I would encourage people to check out that section of our site. And also we ran it last year on social media. We'll run it again this year. I'm pretty sure during the month of December, we do a daily family activity calendar things you can do that are related to the family dinner that just bring you all a little bit closer together. Not hard things, right? Yeah. Not time-consuming things, but little special activities that you can inject into your daily routines for the entire kind of holiday season to make it uh, more meaningful and to find, find some new ideas, some
0: things that you might want to carry forward. Those are great suggestions. And I I will repost those in my stories and I will put all those links, the randomized question generator, conversation starters that people can have and all of your insights in our show notes. Thank you so much. I thought of one more, mostly because my husband's birthday is tomorrow when we're recording this, not when we'll air it. And mine's in a couple weeks on birthdays in our family, we would always go around the table and say, something we we uniquely love about that person that was sort of our family tradition and we would do it at the the birthday dinner and honestly when my kids were little they didn't love that it felt like I don't know embarrassing to have that spotlight but now I think they love it and it's not just about the person it kind of highlights your unique relationship with that person you know what I mean
1: yeah, absolutely. And that's that sounds a lot like one of the dinner games that we have, which is called 20 Things I Love About. And you Aww. can choose a person or a place or a thing, but the idea is that you all keep going around the table naming things you love about that person or that that thing until you've reached 20. It's just such a wonderful kind of positive bonding shared experience and really meaningful if you do choose a person right yeah yeah
0: yeah. or or randomly if it wasn't someone's birthday we would say okay everybody compliment the person to their left or say something you like about the person to your left to just yeah make that connection and that positivity i could talk for days with you about family dinner, as I think you've already surmised, because I just think it's so important and I love it. And I'm glad we're demystifying that it doesn't have to be this perfect, beautiful, chaos free thing, but if we're coming with the intent to have a positive, shared, connective experience, that's all that matters. And that some days it's going to be messy and chaotic, but Do it again the next day and it'll get better. It absolutely will. It absolutely will get better. And you know what? If it's peanut butter
1: sandwiches on the couch Mm -hmm. watching Charlie Brown, that's okay sometimes, right? Just give yourself some grace and give your family some grace and invite them to share a meal with you with all the complexity that that involves. I think that's one of the beautiful things about life is when it gets kind of weird and messy and And we're all
0: in it together. So,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, Brie, thank you so much for your time. And we'll put all the links to the Family Dinner Project and all of their great tips in the show notes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. Hopefully you've heard something that will help you as you continue to navigate the connections in your everyday relationships. If you'd like to connect with me on Instagram, you can follow me at Dr. Kim Swales or check out my website, www.kimswales.com. I'd also love if you would click subscribe and leave a positive review or a five-star rating for the podcast as well as share it with your friends and family. The material in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. If you are in need of medical, medical, psychological counsel, please seek a licensed professional in your area.